A successful business doesn't happen overnight. It takes a lot of hard work, dedication, and persistence, which is exactly what the Coffee and Hustle podcast is all about. I'm talking with Stephanie Stuckey, the CEO of Stuckey's. She has hit the highway to share the story of Stuckey's and the history behind its success. Founded by her grandfather and its famous pecan rolls and other tasty snacks, she has made it her mission to tell great stories and to continue the legacy started by her grandparents. Hello and welcome to the Coffee and Hustle podcast. In this episode, it's all about the hustle. And I am Carla with Design by Carla. And joining me on this podcast discussion is Stephanie Stuckey. She is the CEO of Stuckey, of Stuckey's, right? And so this is a family traditional company. I want her to be able to tell her story today. Very impressive storytelling that she is developing. So welcome to our podcast. I really appreciate you being here today. Thank you so much, Carla. It's a delight. So give us a little bit of the history. I've read a little bit about what's going on with you. You've taken something from what was a family tradition to now what it is today. So give us a little bit of the background of the family history on the um, the company that you've got right now. I'm happy to. And Stuckey's is not your traditional family business story. Usually there's a company that was founded quite often as a grandfather, a great-grandfather, and passed down from generation to generation. And each successive generation is trained up in the business from the ground, learning at the beginning level, work their way up in the company quite often and become the CEO. That was not my journey or our company's journey at all. We were founded by my grandfather in 1937. He built Stuckey's from the origins, which were a humble roadside pecan stand during the Great Depression with a $35 loan from his grandmother. And he grew it from that to what really was the world's first roadside retail chain that offered gas and clean restrooms, cold, cold drinks, hot snacks, and all sorts of fun souvenirs that we became known for quirky roadside Americana stuff that you could find only as duckies, Mexican jumping beans and coonskin caps and rubber alligators. We just had this eclectic assortment of souvenirs and novelties. And we sold candies, best known for our pecan log rolls, but also pecan snacks, divinity, fudge, pralines, classic Southern confection. So he grew that from nothing to at his peak over 350 stores in 40 states and billboards along every major highway in the country. But he sold the company. So that's where our story differs. It fell out of family hands before I was even born. And my entire childhood, of course, I knew the brand. It had our name on it, but it was out of our hands. He sold and there were a series of corporate owners. Frankly, they trashed the brand. We ended up being owned by a Chicago Railroad conglomerate that did not understand the value of this quirky Southern roadside Americana brand. And we suffered a terrible downfall. My father got the company back. He was running several other businesses, but he and his business partners merged Stuckey's largely into what they were doing. They were also in the roadside retail business owning Gary Queen stores on the interstate. And they successfully revived the brand for about three decades, then they retired, they sold their main business and left just 
a handful of people running the business without a lot of resources at that point, frankly, without the, the rest of the infrastructure of the other companies. And when I came on the picture, November 2019, only two years ago, I had the opportunity to buy the company. So not your typical family business. I bought the company. I did not inherit it, did not work my way up. I started at the top, which in many ways is a disadvantage because I didn't understand the company from the ground up. I had to learn everything from the top down. Not, not the best way to learn, but it's how I've, I've had to do it. And we can get into it further, but that's, that's a high-level 85-plus year history of Stuckey's. That's amazing. And so you talk about souvenirs. You have a word with that. You call it, is it kitschy? Kitschies. Kitschies. Yes. 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 And that, (laughs) is that derived from a, is that a, is that a German word? Is that, what, where did that learn that? Yeah. So I was talking to a man from Germany last week and he'd never heard of Stuckies. We're uniquely American. And he said, well, what do you sell? And I tried to describe to him. And I guess it just didn't translate rubber alligators and coonskin caps and Duncan birds. And I said, well, we sell kitsch. And his eyes just lit up and he said, oh, kitsch, that's a German word. That means useless stuff. <laughs> and I, so, did, I high-fived him. I said, useless stuff. Yes, is exactly what we sell. But you know what? It is also the good stuff. So when you decided, um, you know, that you're having to take on this, you know, I, I would say a challenge, but you you have an impressive resume yourself. So you went from your profession into this business. What what made you decide? Did you wake up one morning and said, you know, I, I'm going to do this? Or was there something inside you that just said, I got to do something different? What what was the decision factor? Because you, you've come from a background in with your law degree, right? And now you are the CEO of Stuckey's. And so that's a huge transition. How did, what made that decision for you? It was for sale. It was that simple. I did not wake up in the middle of the night with this burning desire to suddenly sell souvenirs on the roadside of the, of the interstate system in America and make pecan log rolls. I'm that was not in the cards for me. And frankly, it was never offered to me when my dad ran it. He he was in charge and his business partners. So I didn't even think it was an option. I pursued my own career. I'm number four of five kids by my dad, number five of seven grandkids by my grandfather. I am really the quintessential middle child that I think, quite frankly, wants to get attention and have people pay attention to them because we're we're stuck in the middle. But interestingly enough, I don't want to get too much on a tangent, but I love to give shout outs to other middle children. I have actually read some studies that show that middle children make great CEOs and great leaders because we listen, we're conciliatory, we compromise, we want to com- collaborate. And sometimes we have a bit of a chip on our shoulder, which I wear quite proudly because it makes you work harder and you're often scrappy. So this was not in the cards for me at all. I had been a state representative and I was an environmental attorney. I was head of sustainability for city of Atlanta. And my dad's former business partners approached me and said, Stuckey's is for sale. Do you want to buy it? I was very flattered that they saw that potential in me, but I certainly got a big bite of humble pie when I learned that I was one of the last they'd asked. 
because I asked my brothers if they wanted to go in with me and they said, oh no, we've already turned it down. Well, that was actually going to be my next question. Is right. like, how, how many, how many in your family now, since you bought it, so now you've bought it, yes. you're in this, you're in the middle of this transition, right? You not yes. only in 2019 was during COVID and shutdown yeah. and did that give you some time to remodel that? But how many of the family members are now going, Hey, I want a piece of this pie. How many have now no. on board? So you're <laughs> Actually, so you- correction. My nephew, my sister's son owns and operates two Stucky stores, but those are separate from the corporation. And that was one of the hardest things for me when I acquired the company was I did not understand how the business was run at all. And we did not own, do not own or operate any of those Stuckey's locations, branded locations. There's only 20 standalone stores still around. We do sell a lot of our product in other retail stores, but there's only 20 standalone original sort of classic Stuckey's out there. They were franchised. We've since changed that over to a licensing for some legal reasons. But the company itself was really a rented warehouse with a distribution business, and we owned some inventory. So that's what I acquired. So there was not a lot of there, there. And my nephew already was involved. So I still turn to him a lot for guidance on what products we should be carrying. And he owns and operates two stores. But my my siblings are not interested and being involved with the business. But having said that, they're super supportive and we're very close family, but they, they didn't want to do it. Well, that's okay. I mean, to me, it's like now you, you had the opportunity to, you know, to take something and now not only have a family tradition of the name, but you can kind of put your own spin on it a little bit. Have you been trying to do some of that extra you know, adding some newer things to that mix or are you staying yeah. with that traditional idea of what Stuckey's is about? Both. And I think the most important thing is to figure out what's working and do more of that. As long as it's true to the brand, obviously, you need to have a sense of what does our brand stand for? Why Why are we here? Yeah. If you listen at all to Simon Sinek, and I absolutely love his TED Talk. I think I've watched that like five times. And he talks about how often businesses know what they do. We make pecan log rolls. We sell them on the side of the road. But why? Yeah, they may know how they do it. Some of them may know the recipe or the formula or the various aspects of the business that deal with actual making it or producing the goods and services. But then why? Yeah. Why do you really do it? And that's, to me, the most essential thing. And once I got down to, we're about the road trip and we're about promoting all that's good about getting in your car and exploring this country and seeing small town America and celebrating that. That's, that's our raison d'etre to use a French phrase, our reason for being. And I wrap everything around that. And so once I can give meaning to what we're doing, it it was a lot easier for me to recognize that how we're making our profit is to sell of our pecan log rolls and sell of our products. So let's do more of that, but we can wrap it up in the storytelling and what the brand really stands for. So hopefully if you buy a pecan log roll, you may get it at your local Ace Hardware or your local Ingalls or your local uh, TA, Travel Centers of America, to start selling our product. You may get it somewhere other than a Stuckey's, but hopefully when you 
pull over and you get a pecan log roll, wherever it is that you buy it, you think of the, the road trip, you think of America, you think of the wonderful traditions in this com- country of taking a family vacation. So that's, that's what we stand for. I mean, it sounds like you've got such passion and drive in what you're doing, you know, and your storytelling is so on point. And do you feel like that passion has always been inside you? Like, do you do you feel like that's something that's resonating with you that yes. you've got something to prove now? Not only you've got this family tradition, but now you're out to prove the worth of Stuckey's. Do you feel that passion inside you all the time? Absolutely. And a lot of it is because it is emotional. I think passion has to be connected with a deeply held belief or an emotion in order to exist. And I loved my grandfather and I have wonderful memories, even though I was only 12 when he passed away. I remember him so well and his legacy and what he created from nothing. And I think anyone who was close to a grandparent, they can understand why I'm passionate. I loved my grandfather so much that I bought his company. So how would you feel like if he was still alive today and he knows you're running it, would he, how happy would he be knowing that you're doing that for him? I, I would like to think he's happy. I try to channel him not to sound like I'm this medium and believe in communicating with the dead, but I really do think, you know, you can try to channel what you remember about the person. And I talked to relatives who knew him better, especially my parents and I called him big daddy. So Southern, he was married to big mama. And, but I asked him what would big daddy think? And they've said he would be proud. He would, he would like what you're doing. So I, I hope I'm honoring his legacy. That's certainly my intent. So I, and I want to say that I reached out to you because I, I follow you on LinkedIn and Thank your you. story, your your storytelling is so impressive. Like you're just putting everything out there. You there is nothing. You're not holding back, and no. that takes a lot from people that go from you go from one type success right to another success. Um, what is your driving force on telling this story? Because LinkedIn was very important to you, and you've really grabbed that attention and those followers you know, what's making you develop that storytelling that you're doing right now? Well, I come from a long line of storytellers. I think it's a Southern tradition. And I grew up with my mom and her family, especially telling stories. My mom was an English teacher. She's still with us, but she's no longer teaching English. Yeah. But I grew up with her not only reading classic Southern fiction to us, like I grew up on Flannery O'Connor and and I know a little, a little morbid and Southern Gothic, but she can tell a good story, whether you like her subject matter or not. But I grew up around that storytelling tradition of sitting around a table after Sunday supper and just telling about the family. And so it just came quite naturally to me. And I don't know how else to communicate except through stories. I and, think you know, that- and I was going to say that you are such a natural in front of the camera. You know, it takes a lot for business owners, small businesses to get, you know, in front of that camera and be able to really tell your story. And you're doing it with such finesse. Wow. And thank you. Like, you know, and I it takes like a natural. I'm always self-conscious. I'm in my 50s and I look at the wrinkles and the gray hairs, 
even though I, I touch it up, but you know, you, you have to put yourself out there though. Yeah. And I think that's the secret to a lot of successful people is that sooner or later you have to find your groove. Like, what are you really good at? And be okay, be transparent. And a lot of times people want to hide behind the camera or behind the facade. And you have come out of your, you know, you know, you've kind of bloomed into this storytelling of naturally going out, getting in your car and you're doing some traveling now. You're going from these locations. And so what has been your favorite location so far that you've traveled to? Can you name one? Wow, there's so many. I might say one that I did recently because that's on my mind, but I absolutely loved to come carry. Wait, to come carry. Takes me a minute to pronounce it right. To come carry New Mexico. It's along Route 66. And it is one of the few Route 66 towns, which if you haven't explored Route 66, it's also known as America's Main Street. That's what John Steinbeck called it in the Great Grapes of Wrath, one of the greatest American authors ever. He's a great storyteller. If you want to learn about storytelling, read John Steinbeck. But Route 66 is sort of the quintessential American road trip. And unfortunately, it was bypassed by the interstate as most of the great road trip roads were. And most of those small towns didn't survive I-40 and other interstates that went alongside it. Tucum Carry somehow has managed to largely survive, and it has some of the original classic motels from the 50s and 60s. So I just love places that have managed to survive, that have stood the test of time, that have sticking power. I think there's so much to admire in that, and it translates not just into business, but how we live. How do you how do you create something that really resonates generation after generation? And the little town of Tucum Carry has managed to figure out what is its groove, as you say. And ta- towns have personality just like people. And businesses have personalities just like people. And I think too often we forget that. But by telling stories, you can reconnect people with what's that why beneath the business, beneath the community. That's and cool. I and I've been on that Route 66 actually. Oh, you I, have? Have you been yes. to Tucumcari? I actually did. I don't know if I've been through that town, but I did go through um, Texas and yeah. connected on Route 66, and we ended up in Taos, New Mexico, yeah. and it was the most beautiful drive. I have to say, it was like a hundred and something degrees in Texas, and as soon as we got across the border, it was like all of a sudden it dropped down to like 50, 60 degrees. It was like super. Yeah cool and but the route itself was literally beautiful like it was just you know untouchable it was it was definitely one of my favorite road trips I can definitely remember that and then we ended up in New uh, Taos New Mexico and then we drove up to the backside of Colorado through the Rocky Mountains wow Um, so that to me like I I'm impressed with your road trips because I literally love the road trips. It's like get off the interstate. Yes. Learn your local communities, low, you know, your low key areas where you can go and go to these local restaurants, go and visit local businesses. And you are managing to tell that story that people have forgotten about. And so that's incredible to do that. And you've, you're re um, kind of doing this thing where you're, you know, reintroducing these areas like, hey, did you know this place even existed? 
and you're doing it with such great, mm -hmm. you know, storytelling. And I, and I, so I love following it. So because it brings back my memories too, as a kid, because that's what we did. That's what it's all about is sharing these stories that resonate with other people. Like I posted about Amarillo, Texas the other day, and there's this big steak ranch where they serve a 72 ounce steak. And if you can eat it in less than an hour, and you also have to eat the dinner roll, the shrimp cocktail, I think a salad and dessert or something insane in less than an hour. And so I wrote about that and I must have gotten over a hundred comments of people sharing their own experience. And my favorite is when they share their photos. And there were two people who posted their pictures after they actually won the challenge. There were a couple of people who actually won that challenge, which is amazing to me that you can eat all that food. But the point being, it's all about connecting with others and creating a sense of community around a shared passion. So my passion is small town America and these small businesses. And guess what? Small businesses make up over 90% of the businesses in America. You know, and I think Why are we talking about them more? Why do we hear about Microsoft and Amazon and Facebook, which to me, aren't all that interesting. Well, you know, I, I'm all about that because um, I'm always about the small businesses because yeah. I'm a small business, but I'm also been in the industry for over 20 years, right? So, but my motto has always been about supporting the small businesses and, and helping them grow over the years. And you have managed to tell that story on LinkedIn. And I sat down one day and I said, you know, I'm going to send her a message through LinkedIn. And I, you know, I developed my podcast during COVID because I wanted to be able to talk to my clients because I didn't want them to feel lonely. And, yeah. and so I used this program to connect with them and I developed a podcast just for fun, thinking at least I can get them talking so they're not so nervous about what was going on. And now it's turned into this thing. And, you know, and it, so it's become its own entity, part of the business. And now it's become this Coffee and Hustle podcast where now people come. I actually have a wall, by the way. I'm going to, you know, sign your name to it. But I, I have actually have a wall. When you come and do my podcast, you actually sign my wall now. And so people come That's and they go, I want to sign your wall. So let's yeah. do a podcast. <laughs> so it's, it's fun. And so uh, I took the chance and connected you through LinkedIn. And I was like shocked. So I do want to say this. I have a client. His name's Mike Bean with Passion HR. And he is a super fan of you. Oh, wow. actually, yes. And so he was so excited because he's the one who actually told me about you. He said, oh, well, thank you, Mike, if you're listening. I appreciate it. Oh, he'll love that. And so he said, you've got to follow Stephanie Stuckey because she's telling a great story about her business and how you've revived your family business. And I said, I've got to talk to her um, because it is all. Yeah. So it's, it's a small world. When you start connecting people, you start realizing yeah. how others people are connected to each other yes. and how we are here to help each other. You know what I mean? So 100%. And so I'm honored that you've come on the podcast. I have to tell you. And so Mike is very I, I love supporting other businesses, right? Yeah. And and right now I can't support other businesses as much as I'd like because we're trying to survive ourselves. We are now profitable, but I joke we're ramen noodle profitable and everything we're making, we're reinvesting in the growth of this business. So the ways I can support is going on your podcast or talking about your story 
pulling over and visiting the Blue Swallow Motel and telling their story and just sharing that and doing what I can. But there are ways that we can support one another. And I love how you started this as your hustle. I'm a big fan, not only of the hustle, but the side hustle. This is my side hustle, by the way. I've got other side hustles, but I do have a marketing company that's been in the industry for over 20 years. So I believe me, I've been, I started out as a programmer and I I learned how to build computers because I was the only girl around a bunch of guys. And so I networked, I, you know, you name it. I did whatever it took to get into the industry. And, but I worked very, very hard for it. And, uh, and so when I got the opportunity to learn to program websites back then, it was front page and Dreamweaver. And so I learned how to, I, I coded. And so it went from one thing to the next thing. And so you have to recognize opportunity when it's in front of you. And, and that's when you, you kind of say, you know what, I'm going to step up and I'm going to ask because sometimes asking, it's like, I took a chance I contacted you and I said, I'm just going to ask. And if she says no, then I'm okay. If, but you right. turned around probably within 10 minutes, you are already replying. Oh, wow. You caught me on a good day. Sometimes I don't <laughs> respond that quickly. But, but I was like shocked I and I was like, okay, she's really serious. And so yeah. I, I had to step up my game today. So I was like, let you know, um, you know, I, I have to say I'm impressed with the fact that you took time out for me to do what you do. And that shows what kind of person you are well, thank you know, you. in the industry. I, I, I want to say this, you're very involved in the community as well. You're very, you give back to your community. Um, are you able to do that more now that you're in this business or it, or, you know, how do you manage Less. that? Less right Less. now. I just have to focus on growing the business and I have two kids One's 19, so he's a little older, a little easier to manage, but I've got a 16-year-old daughter still. And so I'm doing what I can with yeah. the time that I have, but there's only 24 hours in a day and I like to sleep. So I do what makes strategic sense. In fact, I get a lot of philanthropy asking me for money and it really does break my heart to have to say no, but I have to say no. I don't have the money personally to give and the company doesn't have money personally to give. The most we can do is sometimes we might give a gift basket or some product, but but we're in growth mode. Uh, But that doesn't mean you can't find ways to give, right? So I like to talk up, like I said, small businesses on my social media platforms. When I can, I do donate product to good causes. In fact, just this week alone, I've given two gift boxes to two online auctions for two charities. So I do what I can. And I think as we grow, gosh, I would absolutely love to do what my grandfather did. So talk about legacy. I think it's important for brands to really understand what they stand for, like I said earlier, and that extends to your philanthropy. And if you try to be all things to all different charities, I think you spread yourself too thin. And I don't want to sound like you're self-motivated in your philanthropy, but I I do think it makes sense to be strategic in your giving. And so as we move the brand forward, my dream is to really give more money for entrepreneurs, give more, we don't give any, but give money for entrepreneurs, small business development, and especially in the rural and the agricultural space, my grandfather was a generous donor to 4-H. He donated to a pecan growing effort and he gave out all these free pecan trees. I went back and forth between pecan and pecan. People always ask me, I say both. 
that way that my base is covered. But he did a lot to promote growing the pecan in this country. And I think that's really terrific. So I do want to know what I, I, I just want to say I grew up on a farm. And so we what have kind of farm? it was a peanut farm. Uh, we had peanuts and soybeans. And Southwest then, Georgia? Where, where were you? I, I was outside of um, what we call it Columbia. It was um, between Helberg and Columbia. And it was actually, it was right on the edge of the Georgia, across almost at the Georgia Dam. And so I lived out in the country toward Columbia in Hellberg, and we had a farm out there. And we did, we had pecan trees and we grew peanuts and soybeans and we grew all of our vegetables. Um, And I think at the end of the year, we would have, you know, a hog or a, you know, cow put down and we have freezers full of our fresh food. So there wasn't, I don't think I grew up even knew, I didn't even know what a chicken looked like in a grocery store. I didn't even know what meat really looked like in a grocery store because we had it in the freezer. So we had it wrapped in a brown paper bag and it had a little yeah. crayon written on it. Right. So I think that we're getting back to that nostalgic aspect where we're seeing more and more people getting back to supporting local businesses, growing mm-hmm. our food um, and able to support and sustain each other. And so being part of this community and being part of the aspect of what you're doing really is bringing back people back to full circle. And I, and I, and I have to commend you for that. So, you know, even though you're, yeah. And so you have to really applaud yourself because I know with LinkedIn, we usually LinkedIn for that business to business connection, but you're using it to really drive that association with Stuckies and small businesses. And that cross-reference is really working for you. You know what is fascinating to me? And I didn't start out thinking this way, but I was just trying to raise brand awareness initially with the LinkedIn post and the Facebook post, just social media in general. And so I, I did what I knew, which is telling the story of the brand. And I wasn't selling in the post. I was just storytelling. I get so many sales through those posts that are storytelling. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I was not expecting it. It yeah. is counterintuitive. And when you do the super salesy posts, like we have pralines on sale for X cost, click here doesn't do nearly as well. Isn't that? And and that's very true because, you know, social media has changed and the branding has changed and how we present ourselves. And for some reason, we know, of course, LinkedIn, the, um, the natural organic connection is so much higher than we, we look at Facebook now um, because we're restricted so much more than, than we are on LinkedIn, but the way you do your storytelling. And if you're continuing to do that, you're just going to continue to grow. So I would say, keep doing what you're doing because I wouldn't change it. You've, you've definitely understand your niche. You definitely know how to tell your story. And what is your favorite? Like, I know we talk about the pecan roll, but you guys are now doing divinity. You're, you're now Mm -hmm. making divinity for Easter. That's what I saw. Okay. We've made divinity since the beginning, since 1937. It's always been something we make. It's a classic Southern confection. Have you made it yourself? Like, are you learning how to make it yourself? Or or do you have, I made it a long time ago and I did not do very good. (laughs) Hard. It is very hard. It's not just making. So in answer to your question, 
I have made it with my mother. My mother is an amazing cook. I have wow. not endeavored to make divinity solo. I'm not sure if I have the guts. And I've definitely hung out with, we call them, the, well, they call themselves the divinity divas, the women at our candy plant who make divinity. We have a divinity room at the plant. So divinity is a pernicious candy. It is, I think, the hardest candy to make and true chefs can make it. So I do not consider myself a true chef. I just like to eat it and promote it and tell the story of it. But, and there's very few ingredients. It's, yeah, but you got to get it just right. It's just simple in the ingredients. It is so, um, it's so simple to make. I mean, it's simple ingredients, but it's very hard to make. Yes, the process. And if there's too much humidity in the air, it doesn't come out right. You want it to be just the right mix of this fluffy airiness but also moist and you have to whip it up just right you have to pour in the ingredients at the right time there's a science to how it's made and when you're trying to mass produce it it gets even harder so those science can get very complicated so i just i just sit there in awe of the divinity divas and how they churn out this, these delicious bars every time. So I, that's my favorite candy. I I would say that that would be a great, that is a great candy to make, but I don't know if I can make it, but yeah, I've had, I can eat your pecan rolls all day long. Just so you know, I'm all about. Thank you. And the interior of the pecan log roll is similar to divinity. It's a thicker, it's a nougat, but it's very similar. So it's a different consistency, but the taste is, is quite the same. Yeah. So you, uh, we talk about you telling your story. Do you, can you describe success? Like what does success look like for you right now? Like, where do you want to, how do you want to achieve that? I want us to be financially more stable. And right now we are certainly meeting our obligations, but we are servicing a fair amount of debt, which we had to do in order to expand the company. So I'd like to, level out our balance sheet some. So that's just on the technical side of the business. And I want us to acquire more manufacturing capacity and get more equipment. So that's a big part of success is having the infrastructure to really grow the brand. That's just the nitty gritty of any business that you absolutely need to succeed. And then the visionary side of that, the lofty side of it is I want us I have twofold. One is I want Stuckies to be the brand that people think of when they think of the pecan. And right now, the pecan is really not on the snack nut aisle when you go to your grocery store, or your convenience store. And I think that is an absolute tragedy yeah. because we are the only snack nut native to this country. Yet the almond and the cashew and the peanut, no disrespect. Well, the peanut's a legume, as you know. But all these other nuts dominate the snack nut aisle. And I'm not trying to push them out. I'm just saying, give the pecan a little space, please. And give I want some that pecan <laughs> to be a Stucky's pecan. Yeah, I don't blame you. I think that you're on your way. And I can we I, can I ask you one question. You know, sure. what is something what is something that you have failed at? Do you do you want to recognize that? Because we all you know, we look at our failures and we learn from that. What is something that you failed at that you've learned from? I'm trying to, you know, I've had a lot of small failures that I just adjust. So I think I try to fail fast and fail small in a way that I know I can turn around and pivot if it doesn't work. So I can tell you just a recent 
small failure was I really wanted to do a food truck for Stuckey's. And I went as far as actually investing in buying a truck. And that set us back 40 grand. And then I quickly realized we just didn't have the infrastructure to support having a food truck at that time. And so I had to turn around and sell the truck. And I sold it at a profit from what I originally bought it for. But once you added the storage fees and I had a consultant who was helping me put together the food truck money, uh, program, I ended up losing money off of that. Not a lot, but but enough and to make it hurt. And it's not a total failure because you learn. So in that respect, I think the only time you really have a failure is if you don't learn something from it. And I still have a good idea of what it's going to take to have that concept move forward. And I do want to move that concept forward, but I'm going to have to have more capital and more time in order to devote to that. So sometimes, so yeah. And I, and I agree with that. Sometimes like maybe you're just not ready now, you know, your yeah. vision, you know, you see it and then, but preparing uh, is just taking those steps to make it happen. Exactly. So, yeah. So some, sometimes like we see things and we hear things and we're like, how do we put that on our bucket list? And, make it happen, but maybe the timing's not right. You know what Just I mean? Pause button. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of times also failure and rejection are companions, right? And you have to learn to deal with both of those. And quite often I will take rejection as not necessarily a no, but a not now. And it of course depends on the situation. Sometimes it really is a no. And one of the most important skills is to gracefully accept rejection and a no. But Sometimes it's just a not now. And we've pitched to a couple of big accounts that I think we're a good fit for, but we didn't have the capacity or we didn't have the food certification standards, which we now have, where it just wasn't the right timing. And we need to regroup and address some of the issues and come back later at another time when we're stronger and in a better position. It's a better fit. So it's got to be a win-win when you're making yeah. a pitch. When I look upon any potential customer, especially when you're looking at the B2B, the business to business space, it's a partnership. And you've got to approach it in that respect. And so when you're talking to a potential customer, you have to think, what's in it for them? Yeah, Don't talk, about, yourself. talk about what you're going to do for them to make their business better, to make them succeed. And if they succeed working with you, then you're going to succeed. And sometimes it's just not going to work out. It's not a good fit. And you accept that. And sometimes, like I said, it's hit the pause button, regroup, come back. You know, and that's, that is a very true statement when you know that sometimes when you go and you, when you're working with other businesses or whatever it may be, the one thing that's really important is to know that it's a, it is a partnership. It's a, it's a group effort when you're going into working with other people. And so knowing that you have that mindset, that's just, and you follow those rules. When you follow those rules, then you're going to have less time. You can pick out what's going to work for you and what's not going to work for you because then you can see it and forecast it before it even starts. So that's, that's a smart move on your part. And I, and I commend you for that because a lot of people just go out and hand a bunch of business cards and hope that they're, they're going to get a phone call or they take on businesses. They know they're going to regret down the line, right? Because just because it's business, but you want to make sure you're connecting with people with the right reasons and partnering up with the people that have you in mind, just as like you would have them in mind. So it's a growing effort when you're, when you're do, developing businesses like that. So that's a smart thing to do. Um, so I think my last question before we get off the podcast is, is how do you find 
that work-life balance? How do you do that with this that you're doing right now? Do you, do you just kind of run with it and go? Or do you even think and process? Or do you plan out your day where, you know, something happens and you go, okay, now I've got to put on the mom hat. Now I've got to put on the CEO hat. Do, do you feel that way sometimes? For me, it's more integrated. It's not so much the balance, but it's integration. But I absolutely make time for myself. I'm a big believer in sleep. People ask me, do you ever sleep? Absolutely, I do. I go to bed earlier probably than most people. <laughs> I'm usually in bed by nine. I'm a big reader. It's back to the storytelling. So yeah. I'm often in bed, but I'm up for another hour reading. I make time for my friends. I had a glass of wine with one of my best girlfriends last night. In fact, I make time to exercise. I do schedule exercise quite frequently because otherwise I can't fit it in. So this week I actually went through and scheduled the blocks when I take dance classes. So just find things that you really enjoy doing and find things that you enjoy doing with the people you love, like my kids. And yeah. I really figure out what it is that they like to do together. And fortunately, they've learned to love road tripping. It made me so happy for spring break. My daughter wanted to go on a road trip. I told my 19-year-old son he was coming with us because I needed help on the drive. And so you just find those shared things that you love doing together. And, and you know, yeah, the last thing I'd say is I make lists. I think we yeah. live by list. So I'm a big proponent of a list. And I... You, you have a computer background. I found an, a program I like. I liked the Microsoft to do, but you can find any number of them. There's all sorts of software out there, but Microsoft to do, you can segregate. So I have a personal to do list. I have an important priority to do list. I have my executive team to do list. Yeah, I break it up. And then every day you can go in that list and you can, you can put what is on my day from that list. And then it's great when you actually get something done from that list and you click it, it makes a little sound. And I just, I live for that ding. Yeah. No fulfilling. Yeah. Well, I just, I just want to say you are um, definitely um, top notch girl boss and you. you are definitely all about the hustle. So I just want to say thank you, Stephanie. And thank you for listening to today's podcast. It's all about the hustle. Uh, I hope that we could do another podcast down the line and continue success for you, Stephanie. And I cheer you on for all that you're doing and all the hard work you're putting in. So thank you for coming on today's podcast. Oh, thank you, Carlin. I'm rooting for you as well. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, see you soon and uh, great success. And if you can follow her on the LinkedIn uh, account and see what she's got coming up next.